Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 210. This episode is with Megan Ratcliffe. Megan is the sports scientist and SNC coach for Burnley Women's First Team. She's also the sports scientist for England Amputee Team as well. So we got into some of the biggest lessons that Megan's took from her career so far. We talked about working with the amputee players, her role with the amputee team as well. Um, and then also the approach she takes with the part-time program. Now, Megan's got two roles, like I mentioned. We did touch on her role with the Burnley women's first team at the start of the episode, but then the majority was based around working with the England amputee team because it's fascinating. There's loads of takeaways that you can apply to your practice. Obviously, there's different challenges that she's facing in that role as well and some incredible work that both Megan and the, the other coaches that are working with that team do to adapt the programme and um, make the most out of um, the support that they're giving to the players because there's a hell of a lot of demand that goes onto the body and um, it, it's really fascinating when Megan starts diving into it, some of the challenges that the players face day to day. So she breaks that down. She also breaks down how the, how the game and the match actually works some of the regulations that are in place. So it's a really, really interesting episode of the podcast. Quite different to a normal podcast, but I'm sure you're going to take plenty away from this episode. Just a very quick reminder, we've got some upcoming networking events. Tickets are still available for these events. The first of which is, as this podcast goes out, it's going to be tomorrow. So it's Thursday, the 27th of October. Work rest from. The Hawthorns with Director of Medical, Tony Strudwick, Head of Academy Sports Science, Tom Page, and also First Team Sports Scientist, Matt Bickley. They're all presenting for us at that event. That is soon to be followed by an event at Bolton Wanderers at the University of Bolton Stadium on Wednesday, the 2nd of November. We've got two speakers, Reader in Sport and Exercise Biomechanics at Salford University. Dr. John McMahon is going to be presenting alongside first team sports scientist at Everton, Jason O'Keefe as well. And then the day after that, we're actually over at Rotherham United, New York Stadium. And we've got two presenters on that event, Brett Dickinson, Brett's the senior performance coach at Rotherham United, and also head of sports science at Sheffield Wednesday, Rob Lee. They are both presenting for us at that event. So tickets are still available for all the events. To get your ticket, to confirm your place, go to footballfitfed.com, click the shop tab, and there's a network event section. If you click that, that'll take you through and you'll see all the events that are coming up there. We will soon be announcing some more as well. And just on that, if you are interested in hosting an event, especially going into 2023, please let me know. You can drop us a message over on social media at footballfitfed or you can email us mail at footballfitfed.com. Got to say a big thank you to everybody as well that has recently left us a review. If you listen to the podcast regularly, I'd love you to go over and leave us a review. One, because it does help the podcast. It helps us reach more coaches. But also it gives us a little bit of feedback. What's been your favourite episode? What's been your favourite guest? Sorry, who's been your favourite guest? Um, and just leave us a little comment. So you can do it over on the, the podcast app, click the five stars and leave us a little written review. And then if you li listen on Spotify, it's even easier because if there's nothing to write, it's literally just clicking the five stars. And I really would appreciate it if you could do both. Um, but either one would be great. 
If you do do the written one, please screenshot it and send it to mail at footballfitfed.com or over to us on social media, on Instagram or Twitter, at footballfitfed. And as a thank you, I will send you over a free copy of one of our eBooks. Just before we get into the episode, I wanna say a huge thank you to our sponsors. First up, Valve Performance. Valve systems are used by more than 1,600 of the world's most elite sporting teams, high-performance academies, strength and conditioning departments, and personal trainers to accurately measure human movement, performance, and rehabilitation. Enhance your training with objective data and measure what matters most with an integrated suite of human measurement technologies. For when accuracy matters, visit valdperformance.com for more information on Vald systems. Also, a massive thank you to Hytro Training. Have you ever tried blood flow restriction for recovery? Hytro have developed the world's first BFR wearable, unlocking the recovery benefits of BFR to support athletes. BFR is no longer just for one-to-one physio or rehab. Hytro allows teams to use a safe and scalable sports BFR device post-exercise to dramatically enhance recovery. Whether in the changing room post-game, during away game travel, in the hotel or at home, Hytro has created a simple and effective tool that allows BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously, safely and more conveniently than ever before. You can check them out at hytro.com, which is H-Y-T-R-O.com, or email Warren on warren at hytro.com to find out how Hytro BFR can give your athletes a competitive edge. And Hytro are constantly announcing new teams that they're working with, not just in football, across a number of different sports that are investing in their recovery with Hytro. So go and check them out. Finally, just before we dive into the podcast, a massive, massive thank you to our sponsors, Rezzle. And let's get into episode 210 with Megan Ratcliffe. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 210. I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today by Megan Ratcliffe. Megan, how are we? I'm good. How are you? I'm very, very <laughs> good. Megan, we've, we've just been speaking for about 20 minutes we and we've covered some really cool stuff. And I know the roles that you're in at the moment, I, I find them re- really interesting. So I'm really keen to dive into that in a little bit. And again, like I always say, we should have recorded the stuff we just talked about. Yeah. Um, so all the stuff you just said, you need to just say it again in a minute. Okay. Um, but again, if you have to prompt that back out of there. Yeah, I will. I will. But um, just to start with, like we always do, Megan, give us a little bit of a back background on yourself, and then also I've not mentioned your role. So can you take us into what you do currently as well? Uh, okay. So I'm currently the strength conditioning coach for Burnley Women. Um, and also sports scientist slash SNC for the England amputee lads. So that's currently what I'm doing at the moment. Brilliant. And a little bit of background. So I probably go, I'm going to go right back because it kind of leads me to everything I kind of know and the way I am. Um, so British high school, went to college, 
Um, and then I did sort of B-Tech sport. During that time, um, I got quite friendly, like with the tutors and stuff, because I was like really into it and I didn't really want to just mess about. And because BTEC can be quite easy in a sense if you want to make it easy, but if you want to do it on your own, it can be a bit hard. Plus, because I'm dyslexic, it was always going to take me a little bit harder. I needed that extra support. So I got quite friendly with a guy called Martin and a guy called Sam, who currently at the time, Sam was doing his master's in SNC at Salford. Um, so he was doing um, sort of kind of a case study on two boxes. So when he was doing that, I asked, could I just assist and sort of get a feel of like what he does? Because I was looking at going into personal training at the time. So and I was doing currently that course as well while doing the college course. Um, fell in love with everything that he was doing with the physiology, with the... Um, the VO2 max, everything that was doing in the gym was completely different and compared to what I sort of seen and been exposed to when being in a gym. Um, and I just kind of fell in love with what he did. And then I actually came to the end of my college course and found out that I actually got one of the highest grades, which I was completely shocked about because I was like, oh, I'm going to do crab. It's not going to, we're not going to do good. Like you're dyslexic one, let's be honest. You're not written. You're not academically good. You're just practically good. Well, that changed when I seen that. So I thought, you know what? I'm actually clever. Like let's actually do something with this. So I had a feeling I was going to go to uni, but uni was never on the cards. So I was having a look at actually what I'd want to do. And it was sort of similar to what he was doing, but I didn't really know what the name was for it. So I did a little bit of researching and I'd kind of already grown up in like a football kind of family. Um, and I kind of grew up in a pub. So um, it sounds really bad when I say that, but my mum and dad just like going for a drink and we always end up in the local pub, which is just always football mad. So I was like, I would love to do that role within football. Like that would be ace. So I had a gap year to try and think about whether this was the right thing for me to do. So I had a gap year, did a bit of traveling. My friend was out in the States. So I went and visited her a few times, fell in love with the States. and was like, I want to move there. I want to do my role, but over there. So I kind of came back, did the course, like did um, an undergrad in sports science, S&C at Salford Uni. Um, for the whole of that, I, I kind of went to uni really selfish as well. So I didn't really go there with wanting to be and live the student life. Because I'd already lived that two years prior to going to uni, so I'd already got that out of my system. So when I went there, it was really I found it really hard at first because I was that little bit older than all the 18-year-olds going in, which I found it really like it sounds really sad, but I found it hard to make friends because I was like, I'm in this for the long haul. I don't know whether you lot are. Like that sounds so bad me saying that, but it was the real life what I had. And I kind of really understood the age gaps and how much you actually grow up and you sort of live life a little bit mm. so after that like I did that whole I did the whole three years learned a lot um I had Paul Comfort John McMahon and at the time um Tons, Tons I can't say his last name so I'm really good that's it <laughs> uh Nick Ripley and Matt um Cuthbert I think that's his, I think that's how you say his last name they were all doing their um, PhDs and masters while I was there so every sort of little bit of research they were doing I was like wanting to be involved in it some of the stuff that Tom was doing girls weren't allowed to be part of it which was always really annoying but the stuff that like because he was doing like loads of change direction stuff 
But when it comes to females, obviously with the, the Q angles, our hips, our knees, it, you couldn't do it. it was, he said that's a different ball game. So I was always like trying to like watch his stuff. So I'd always stay behind and do my uni work while he was sort of re- like collecting research just to kind of get some ideas and see how actually how this works. Um, and a couple of times when I was there, I went, I went out and did um, testing for them, like help them do the testing. So I think we went to Cell Sharks, um, United Women at one point to do some hamstring testing. Um, and Silver County came in for one of the undergrads for dissertation. Like she got them basically, and I think she was doing an internship with them. So I was like, oh, can I help you? And she was like, yeah. So I was like, okay. And I kind of fell in love with research that way. And that was kind of my way of being able to understand research and understand how an article works. So it came to me actually doing an article. I just, I knew what to say. It was different putting it down like, but that's how I kind of fell more in love with it. Yeah. Um, and then I did start, did my master's. Well, coming to the end of my dissertation, I was doing mine actually in weightlifting. Um, I had Paul Comfort being my um, supervisor and I also had him then in my master's. So that as I was coming to the end of my undergrad, it was actually COVID. Right. Uh, COVID hit at that point, which helped and helped, didn't really help. But then I was like, well, there's nothing I can do because my idea then was to go and get more experience outside. But obviously I couldn't because COVID and everywhere had like basically cut down. People were limited, people coming into clubs and stuff. So I thought, oh, sack it, I'll just do my master's straight away. So at the time of all this happening, I was interning also at Salford City, Lionesses. Um, so I did that through my undergrad, uh, right, nearly enough right through. And then when I was coming to the end of, no, actually it was the start of my master's, I got the job then with um, England Amputee. And that was, I went from Salford to there. Um, yeah, that's kind of in a really nutshell. And then ended up at Burnley. Like I applied for Burnley in June and then I got it by September. I think that was like just a bit of a waiting thing. But yeah, that's kind of how I've ended up now. Brilliant. Really probably missed out bits in that, and that will probably come out of more as we talk. But that's yeah. kind of the overview kind of thing about yeah. how I ended up here. Brilliant. Let's let's dive into those two roles then. So just starting with um with Burnley, can you give a little bit of a breakdown? Because it's a part-time role, isn't it? Yeah. So um how much um exposure do you get to the to the girls, like in terms of how many sessions, how many times a week are you seeing them? So we have three sessions a week and then we have game on Sunday. So normally it's kind of weird, but it's just the way it's worked out. We tried to change the scheduling, but it just, it wouldn't, didn't work. It didn't fit around the girls as well, because obviously they still work full-time jobs. So we currently do uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then play Sunday. So our sort of, our scheduling over them three days is like literally paramount, like, if the coach wants them by a certain time, I have to be done on that dot because yeah. time is literally of the essence. Yeah. In a sense. Um, so I get quite a lot of exposure with them. Um, on a Tuesday, I try and do like small-sided games. And I'm actually at the moment um trying to learn how to because I'm not really I'm not a football coach. Like I've got my level one, but like that just I still don't know how to do small-sided games, but I kind of wanted to learn like how I can integrate the football side of it, like transitions, pressing, um, crosses, anything like that, I can incorporate on a warm-up on a Tuesday, which is light anyway, because obviously they're into the second day of recovery, so it's always light. 
Um, so the minute I'm trying to learn that bit and how to like make that as a game, make it fun, make it stimulus before they then go into like the analysis and the other stuff that they've got to then do. So yeah, Wednesday is like our highest day. So that's like more loading. And then we reduce it again on Thursday, but still keeping a little bit high because we've got two days to then recover. So that's- in terms of like, when you're saying low and high there, you're referring to actual intensity of, of the pitch yeah. based sessions. Yeah. Yeah. As well as the coaches as well. Yeah. And then what in terms of gym work, um, S&C, what, what sort of work are they getting from that perspective? So um, so what we've done so far and kind of what I've done is um, I've done it where they all have an individual program. So based on the pre the, the whatever testing they do at whatever time in the year, I then based some of their um, gym program on that. So if they've got any like, say the one hamstring is weaker than the other or same with glutes growing and then more like the power base of like um jumps and also their landing mechanics um time to stabilize so we kind of do all them testing and then whichever one sort of is a little bit is lower compared to the whole squad then we sort of that's how I kind of do most of their programs but it kind of they all basically follow the same sort of theme of they do like sort of strength strength speed speed strength and then we reevaluate at christmas when then we do the another set of testing and then we sort of then go we based on what that base that gives us kind of thing jim is always one day a week but i do put additional sessions on um before two of the sessions so i, I make it like a half five to like 20 past six or something like that just because if i make it mandatory not everyone can make it before the se- training session yeah i can't cut the pitch base session down so I as as like an additional one um and then there's you always have the same players each week that come in for the additional ones um and then obviously you have the squad then so my time with the players is like the ones who I see the two days extra I try and spend a lot of time with them building that like sort of report with them and sort of teaching them stuff like at the minute on a Wednesday we're sort of doing some weightlifting derivatives, but keeping it like low distance, just the bar, just going through technique work with them because I've got the time to do that. And then, um, but then eventually when they've got it, I can actually put it in the program. Yeah. So I then don't need to watch them because I know they're competent at it. Um, then Wednesdays is based on their day, like whichever day they're on. And then Thursdays, I can kind of go to the other players that I don't see on the extra sessions. So I kind of manipulate it a little bit. Like I kind of work around that um but i just take take all the the gym sessions as well but they all that just fall off on their own big like own program i don't get them all together and do the same thing with them it's all individualized based on their needs and with that then so they'll have time um some time away from the club as well are they getting programs to go and do themselves or is the majority of work that they do in the club or at the club so on their sort of kind of recovery days, there's always a sort of mobility um, program to follow. Yeah. Um, and that just keeps them moving a little bit, some body weight stuff in there, but nothing like intense, like jumps or anything like that, that gets done like within the training. So they can actually have them days to recover. Um, but it's sort of whatever they want to do. If they wanted to go for like a light jog, mainly like players you want to do that, like, always mess with me going, can I do this? Can I do that? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> if you're doing something i'm probably happy that you're doing something yeah on a monday because you're just after a game like do the mobility session go for a walk probably just go for a swim if you want bruise up a little bit go for a game of golf 
just love. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's when that education comes into it, though, Megan, isn't it? Because that's why yeah. they're asking the questions because they want to learn, they want to find out. Yeah, definitely. Like I always have time for any player that wants he's just asking questions. Like I'll give him as much information as I possibly can. Because at the end of the day, it's going to make my life a lot easier. It's going to make their life a lot easier. And then it will make their performance better. Yeah, Hopefully. 100%. Yeah. No, that's a great breakdown. It gives a really good insight into, into what they're doing and how the programme works. Um, so with the amputee team, you gave a really, really good <laughs> breakdown. This is where the pressure's on now because you gave such a good explanation before we started recording. <laughs> this is where you've got to repeat it. Just give us a little bit of an insight because I'm sure there's a lot of people like myself they don't know too much about how the team works and even some of the rules that you've just talked about before we started recording that are actually um, implemented on the team. So can you give a little bit of an overview of how it works with the team? Uh, so I'll just go with the game um, as, a, as a whole. Um, they all have, so the outfield players have one limb. That limb is obviously it's limb, but then the one that's been amputated is that there's got different, everyone's got a different sort of, size leg <laughs> so some of them have no ankle some of them have no knee some of them have a below the knee amputated some of them have like only like half a thigh and then some of them actually have hip no thigh and then two of them actually have got no hip yeah. one of them definitely got no hip and then sort of another one's kind of got like slightly bit of the hip but not really but probably about half of it um so that's so the outfields have to have one leg. They also can't put it down, the amputee one down during a game. So we say if one of them's only got their ankle amputated, they actually can't put it down, even though they could, but they're not allowed to put it down. The goalkeepers have to have one arm. Um, two legs, they have two legs. Um, but the other arm, because it's still, like most of them all have stumps. So because it's still a stump, that stump actually has to be strapped to them so they can... So it eliminates being able to use that stump within a game. Um, that stump's never out of the actual shirt. That's always stuck in and strapped to the body. Um, but we actually have one keeper that has one arm and one leg and okay, uses okay. his um, prosthetic during a game. Wow. So that's kind of the how that sort of um, game really works. Really, Obviously, it's a smaller pitch. Um, and I think it's by V5. And take us through where your role fits with this then, Megan, because this is the interesting part, for obviously, for the listeners, because, just, again, you ran me through this before, but in terms of exposure with the players, you talked about seeing the girls throughout the week, three times mm -hmm. in the week, and then you got the game at the weekend. What about the amputee team? How many times a week per month or per year are you seeing, are you seeing the team? So the season for the amputees always runs from, like, January to about September, October. Um and from January to May, I probably see him once a weekend um, throughout that time, once a month. Um, from May to October, depending on the tournament. So like last year we had the Euros, this year we've got the World Cup. I've seen them then twice per month, um, but it's always like on one weekend. So the weekends normally run from the Friday to the Sunday. However, so last year... I've always got a million one jobs going on. So last year I had a pub job that I was still doing. So that was always on a, a Saturday. So I only went down then on the on the Sunday. 
And this year it's kind of switched where I do the Saturday, not the Sunday because I'm with Burnley. And then if they need the extra hands on the Friday to help set equipment up, anything like that, I can then I'll just do the Friday and Saturday as well. Um, but not all the time I'm needed for that. So I normally seem like once, once a month, literally. Um, my role within that is kind of I do all the programming, the periodization and sort of the work that they're going to do then away from the, um, the team, kind of like it's just their individual stuff. So with that, I actually do the same program from, for them all because I don't have the time or like I don't see me enough. I basically have a look at the way the testing that we do. And then I also look at the way they actually play. So I kind of use a coach's eye for that to kind of say, right, he's looking a little bit slow. We need to work on that. And I sort of periodize it and try and tell them and educate them how we're going to do this season. Um, and then just hopefully they just buy in and follow it. Um, but yeah. So there's a, there's a guy we have who does all the warm-ups. So I actually don't have any pitch-based stuff with them. Um, and at the current moment, there isn't any pitch-based um, S&C sessions, mainly just purely down to the time and the fact that they coach only see him once a month and they have a structured plan for that weekend so yeah that's kind of a breakdown of it I think I covered it yeah no brilliant and you just mentioned there about the testing so talk to us about how that works <laughs> and what, what sort of things you're doing in terms of testing um so testing is it's kind of really basic because we don't have access to all the fancy equipment we just kind of have to use the very basic stuff that's not always reliable and the validity is not always the best but it's what we have so we kind of just have to work with it so we do a jump test um but we basically measure that how high they jump with an arm swing um obviously these are on one leg so it's they they get some of them actually get quite high some of them don't mm. um it's like any athlete trying to do a single leg cat movement jump they're not going to get as high um we do 505 um we do Nick, we do ask places to kind of borrow their timing gates. So I think one one set we reviewed from UCLan, and then I actually asked Burnley whether I could take ours for one weekend. And the guy was like, yeah. So we do the 505 and then we do 10, 15 and 20 meter sprints, mainly because they don't, they're never going to reach the 30 because of the yeah. pitch is always smaller. So they're never really going to reach that. So we kind of do that. And then we sort of take the 505, with the initial push off so we can do 10 15 20 as well just because some positions don't actually move more than 10 yards so yeah that's kind of really really basic but we also measure um or body power so we use med ball throw for that um just because obviously they're on crutches so yeah. the body is kind of essential in that point and as we haven't really got cameras to look at obviously your leg stride versus the crutch stride and stride frequency and all that good stuff so we can just kind of use that to sort of say how much power we actually got from the upper body but it's very it's like i said it's very basic because we just don't have the equipment to do all this nice fancy stuff yeah well that, that's giving you key information isn't it for programming and that's what i wanted to go into now so when you're programming for those players you mentioned again before we started recording that obviously the demand that one anyone who's been on crutches will sort of be sympathizing yeah, right now. Yeah, the hands, the shoulders, and not only you just walk trying to walk around the kitchen or your house, they're actually competing. So mm -hmm. the demands of those must be massive, but then also being on that single leg. So yeah. where does that then fit into your programming, or where do you fit into the, their programming in a way in terms of what are they doing? then to in for their SNC work 
So last year I kind of walked into this really naively because like anyone you walk in with, into um, a spot with limbs missing, like it becomes quite hard and you have to sort of learn to adapt. And that's kind of why I took the challenge on because if you're going to adapt it, you might as well adapt it with a power athlete because you have no choice. Yeah. Um, so I kind of looked at where these common injuries are. Bear in mind, these haven't really been, re- bear in mind, there's hardly no research on amputee football. I think the only ones are from Turkey, Poland, and one from Japan. Like there's literally, there's about seven. So I kind of looked on what are the common injuries for our um, lads. And the main one really was back pain. They kept all, all of them moaned about lower back pain. So I kind of was looking at how strong are their abs? Mm. turns out they weren't that strong (laughs) (laughs) but they couldn't like they were constantly like had like like they always arched the lower back because of the limb missing the kind of when they stand they sort of lean on the crutches which then they kind of stick the bums out and they then create that sort of curve so when they were doing any sort of like squatting based patterns they couldn't actually keep um sort of their back in alignment so for that, we was like, I was like, right, okay, we have to do like literally a wall squat, but I'm moving one. So where they have to press the back into the wall. So I kind of played around for weeks trying to figure out how I'm going to program. Like you can use one-legged stuff, but it will only take you so far. So you have to be able to adapt stuff. So that whole last year, I was kind of figuring out how I'm going to do this. This year was probably about a better program from my sort of base in the sense that we came in, we went straight on to strength straight away. Um, but also they had to do 3K runs. Realistically, like when you look at it, like he does a 3K run as a footballer. But it was mainly to get them conditioned again, running on the crutches, getting the hands conditioned so the blisters weren't going to come and annoy them. And then every time they came to a training camp, they got blisters all over the hands. Like we kind of wanted to condition the body to deal with being back on crutches and running back on crutches. So we did sort of a free came run and then I kind of worked into doing like interval work. So where they was then doing long intervals into short intervals. And at the time it was doing that, I was working from speed to um, strength speed to then uh, speed, no, strength speed, then speed strength, and then into power. So it was like the conditioning was always moving along with that. Um, but when you're a footballer, you have to do when you enable body only uses really legs whereas they're using the whole body so that kid like that has to be strong throughout the whole thing because otherwise when they come into camps and stuff they'll basically just be in pain um and obviously if certain muscles aren't activated then they'll be like they're going to have an hip imbalance anyway naturally but we're trying to want to minimize it as much as we can and obviously you've got the rotator cuff that all has to be strengthened because of the crutches so yeah. Now, when we first set our community up, we weren't sure who was going to be attracted to it, what coaches we could get on the on the community, and it fascinates me every single week when we have coaches signing up from literally right across the world. So, in the last few weeks, we've had coaches from Australia, Germany, Scotland, Norway, USA, Denmark, Holland, loads of different practitioners jumping on the community, getting involved in the conversations, sharing their best practice. Um, and it just improves the strength of the community all the time. We've got some amazing content for you to watch, webinars, presentations that are all available, and every presentation from our networking event gets uploaded to it as well. So if you're not based in the UK, you'll still be able to access presentations from our events that we run in the UK. 
So if you've not already claimed your one month free, your free trial for 30 days, go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign up there and it'll give you one month free so you can check out what it's all about. After your free month, if you remain a member, you only pay £4.99 per month. You also get access to our WhatsApp group, which is where there's some great chats and key information from coaches right around the world. Um, and you've literally got a network of coaches that you can reach out to on your phone. So go and check it out, footballfitfed.com, and click the community tab. Just before we get back into the podcast, I just want to say a massive thank you again to our spo- uh, podcast sponsors, Vald. Make sure you go and check them out at valdperformance.com. I know they're in a lot of clubs now, across, um, especially across the UK, doing some brilliant work in terms of strength testing and fatigue monitoring. But go and check out their work. They're constantly releasing new um, research and ideas that can really enhance your programme. So go to valdperformance.com and go and check out some of the work they've got going on. Let's get into part two of the podcast with Megan Ratcliffe. In, ter- in terms of sort of exercise selection then, Megan, because um, I'm, I'm guessing with some of the athletes or players as well, they're able to put prosthetics on, are they? When yes. they're, when they're training. I know they're not allowed in the game, but... Yeah. So um, I'm quite easy with that. Like if they want to use the prosthetic, because some of them, um, whether they like to in it or not, probably some of them are really conscious about going to the gym and not having a prosthetic on because they can wear joggers. Right. They can kind of hide it a little bit if they don't want people staring. Some of them are just really not bothered. They're yeah. more than happy. Um, exercise selection, like if you want them to do a heavy squat, unfortunately they can't really do that, with, especially with a barbell. So they didn't go on the leg press. Doesn't really do much of the trunk stuff. So we have to make that up later on in the program. Um, so we have to do quite a lot of like bracing stuff. So like cowbell um, pull throughs, like keepers, slightly different. Yeah, I was going to get onto that in a little bit. So you use banded stuff. So they always have banded stuff to warm up with. And if I want them to do any rotation stuff, they'll have a kettlebell in the hand or they'll have um, a cable or a band, something like that to do, to put some loading on their trunk. Yeah. Um, But outfield players, I get them to do um, push press, barbell, keepers, That'll just be with a dumbbell. Um, and then I've actually got them this year to sort of increase, like be able to do like a mid-thigh pull. Um, some of them, one of them used his prosthetic at one point, and then the next session he uses, he, he did and didn't have it. So they just vary in what they want to do. I don't really, I try not to be too strict on it because they are doing this away from camp. They are doing this at home. So I want to make it where if they're going to the gym, they're doing something. Yeah whether they have one on or not, like I can't force them to have one on or not to have one on. Like they're going to do what they want to do, whether I like it or not. So you kind of got to work with them and sort of build that rapport. And then eventually you will end up getting to, to a point where they can do a mid, like they can do a clean, a mid thigh clean pull. Like they can do that. But some people don't like, some of them don't like to go away from their norm. So I think like from what I can gather, their norm was sort of a bodybuilder type program. And I kind of had to steer them away from that and get them to trust the process. So I think I had the same conversation with the same players throughout the whole season about the structure <laughs> of the program, just because they, it just goes back to the education. And I always say with football, we know time is not on our side in a sense, especially with an amputee one. So you can't, you haven't got the time to 
go for a full PowerPoint and explain the whole structure of it. So you kind of have to do it in person. If they're interested, they'll ask. If they're not interested, they won't ask. Yeah. So yeah. the ones that don't ask, you have to actively go to them like, oh, how are you doing? Like get a conversation going and then sort of slide the gym in and be like, okay, how's it going? So that's kind of how I, I do that. But it's just, it varies. Obviously they can do a single leg RDL, but most of the time, if they don't use the core, the back's then going to take the load in, not the leg using it. So I kind of switched out to doing sort of a hamstring bridge with load on it, where they can then learn to tuck the pelvis under. You can like basically activate them, the core to then lift themselves up while doing a hamstring. So just taking the, the leg, what they have outwards. If they don't, then they put their stump on um, a bench and we sort of do it that way. So it just, it literally just depends on what they're able to do, but they will adapt themselves anyway. So if there's an exercise and they can't do it, they'll just adapt to anyway and let me know what they've done. Or they'll go, oh Meg, this is what I've done. Is this all right? And then I'll be like, oh, I, I don't know. And I'll be like, right, let me go and try this. Hmm. And I'll go and try it myself. And I'll be like, oh yeah, no, that's fine. Or it's all right, but maybe just tweak it this bit a little bit because I've gone and tried it myself. But I wouldn't know unless they didn't tell me. Because as if, like, obviously I've got two legs, two arms, you don't, you underestimate the little things that matter within exercises. So if they're telling me stuff, I'll go and try it and then be like, okay, yeah, that doesn't quite work. Like there is a lot of mistakes that I've made, like, because you're still learning in a sense, you've got to be able to adapt to their world. Um, so yeah, like I'm always, I'm still making mistakes now, but yeah life <laughs> no we were saying before like, i've had a very very small exposure to sort of dis- disability sport dis- and um power athletes and they are the most adaptable yeah athletes ever aren't they like you, you literally set something out like you say and they're gonna get something done like it might not be exactly what you set out for in the first place but they're so adaptive aren't they that they sort of get on with it and then they feed back to you after i've done this rather than a lot of players and athletes we might deal with and you put a program in place and they've got a hundred reasons why they're not going to do it. Yeah, there was one time actually on what I think last the two camps before they've gone away for the World Cup and I was doing sort of, they have like a cool down, but it's like more like mobility just to get them sort of range of motion back kind of thing. And I actually wanted them to stand on one leg, which is going to stand on one leg and use the other leg to swing diagonally. And then they just looked at me and went, Megan, that isn't going to work. I went, well, why don't you do it holding each other? And they were like, no, that's not going to work. So then we resi- I just resilient back to the floor and went, right, go on the floor and swing the leg, the one leg you have over. Yeah. <laughs> that way. Yeah. So it's it makes you be on the spot as well. But like some people will just naturally go, like there was, I think there's about three lads that went, Megan, that's not going to work. And then there was other lads that were actually trying to make it work. And they were like, no, we can't do this. So yeah, they are really adaptable. And they're, really, they're like really resilient as well. Yeah, 100%. that's one good thing about them. They're really resilient. So whatever you say, you you can't hurt him. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's definitely an experience. I mean, you as a practitioner must be developing so many skills, whether you realize it or not. Like working <laughs> working with a team like that, um, going into whether you stay with them or whether you go into different teams or whatever. In terms of your toolbox, that'll be growing all the time from all the experiences you're picking up with them. Yeah, I love it though. I really do love it. Like I love, like I'm one of these, me. I like I learn as I as I do. 
yeah like, if otherwise like I, I can do like seminars and stuff like that. I know you're gonna ask that in a bit but like I can go and do all them but I would I would only pick up so much whereas I learn a lot by just doing and making the mistakes like we'll, we'll always make mistakes it's just like you'll know there and then that you, you that's not that that's a mistake and you have to quickly think of something outside the box literally yeah so it, just, it just makes you think outside the box and not everything's so traditional yeah 100 percent. with um you touched a little bit before on the keepers so yeah. um obviously you've gave a bit of a breakdown in terms of how you're having to program and who you're programming for mm -hmm. what's what are the main differences because obviously we've got a difference from the sort of demands of goalkeeper to outfield player anyway but then when we're talking physically, you, I think you said there's a, there's a goalkeeper with two legs and, and one arm. And um, one goalkeeper, did you say, with one leg, one arm? Yeah. Yeah. So what's the programming look like, looking like for them? So for that, the ones that they like, the ones that have two legs, they can do a normal RDL. The one without, I always then put a comment and basically say like, you can do it with the barbell if you want, or is it like a dumbbell? Um and he'll just work whichever one he wants to work with. So I kind of give him a bit more options, but I try and make it adaptable where you can't, like the stuff that I've used with the outfield players that they can use with them, as in like sort of the type of exercise they can do. But obviously with the keepers, they've only got one arm. So like press-ups, you have to put the arm in the middle of where like, the chest line is. Um, so I work a lot with dumbbells with them more than barbell, just it's just a lot easier and yeah. it's easy for them to do away and feel comfortable that they can, well, I can do a one arm row. It's fine. I can do that. I can do a um, jolly press. I can do a push press with a dumbbell. Like we can do all that. I think the main difference is with them is, is because they're always using the one arm, they naturally rotate in. So their core, they can't, they lack the ability to do it the other way. Right. So right. they get a lot of pain from that. So with that, we have to, have to try and do both sides. Um, so a lot of rotation stuff comes into them. And then obviously like your prone eyes, wise T's, all that rotator stuff has to go in, but that goes in with the outfield plates as well. So it's just, they kind of do the same thing, but it's just slightly different. I try and keep it really basic because if you overcomplicate it, their brains are going to be just fried. So just keep it really simple. And then if they have questions, like they'll message or I will message them and be like, how did that go? Is that all right? And then you get feedback from them if you just ask. And so with that as well, you mentioned about the sort of periodization of going from a strength focus to a, a strength speed to a speed strength into power. Mm -hmm. Is that the same sort of progression for keepers as well? Yeah, um, yeah. we should do the same thing just because one of them was slightly a little bit on the slimmer side. So we kind of need to beef him up a little bit um so his was slightly a bit different more for that during the speed during the strength aspects of it so I always went from like like strength stuff with him then into hypertrophy stuff to try and sort of put a bit of meat on him um the other keeper I didn't really do that with they sort of followed the same thing um mainly because they haven't really done much like obviously like these like the acceleration work with them they haven't really done anything like that so for that I'd like put like tempos in it so that's how I'd sort of differentiate a little bit. So with them, just sort of getting them prepared for when they come into camp, that they've got the ability to deaccelerate a little bit. But they'll get they'll get a lot of that working with the keeper coach anyway. So kind of how that one works. 
these roles are exciting, Megan, aren't they? Because you've got so well, you've got such a blank canvas, haven't you, in terms of the programming? Like yeah. you mentioned before, with the lack of research in that area as well, mm. like that one that has to improve, doesn't it? You need we need more data and um, people looking into to this sport more as well. But it's such an exciting area because you, you're problem solving constantly, aren't you? Yeah, like massively. Like I think coming to the end of this the end of this season, I was on a roll with it. I wasn't making really much mistakes because I kind of done them at the start. Um, so I just tried to use the same exercises that they were sort of doing anyway. These lads didn't get bored. Like they didn't really get bored. And if they did, I just spruced up a little bit. Like one of them said, like we wasn't doing enough shoulder stuff. So I, so because obviously they do it away, I did like a little feedback form. And I said, basically, you can say whatever you want. Like if you ain't <laughs> going to touch me, like brutally honest is what I want. And one of them said, he wasn't doing enough shoulder stuff. I thought, are you having a laugh? <laughs> Brutally honest, but I'm going to judge you. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I then, so with you, at the time they were doing like a full body. So I changed it to up and lowers. That's all I did. Yeah. And then I re-asked the question. I read sent that thing back in. I didn't get that comment. And I was like, yes, that's all I had to do was just switch that up. Because yeah. I think like sometimes they don't like, lads are lads like, if you go into any gym, like like a commercial gym, like any lads that's sort of in the younger age is always sort of doing something hypertrophy. Mm. So that's kind of all they really know. So when you're trying to like feed them into sort of a different way of training, it's they don't understand it and they don't feel like they're getting the same benefit from it. And that's a, that's the main difference with lads is like they like to lift heavy, lift volume. And that's not kind of like your footballers. You're not rugby players like. You don't need to grow because you're just yeah. going to put more weight onto your crutches. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the other demand, isn't it? With them, the, 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 I suppose, body weight, I suppose, relatively as well for the, for them, but that becomes really important, doesn't it? Relative strength and body weight. Well, yeah. Cause if you, if you put, if they put on like 10 kilograms, that one leg's taking that 10 kilograms. Yeah. So yeah. It, it then comes a point where they're then going to suffer with more imbalances or pains because they've got more loading on that one leg. That leg, one leg's taken a lot. So calves are always, always tight. Calves mm. are always tight. So even if they put more weight on, they're going to end up with even worse calves. Like it's just not worth it. And if you want them to do sort of the power stuff, um, short contact, they, they've got to be light for that. Because obviously we know how, like you ask any player or any athlete to do like short contacts on one, like especially who were not full time, and um, if that's the main one who aren't full time, you know you ask, you've really got to like develop that. You've got to coach that. I haven't got time to sort of coach that because obviously I don't see them outside. I do put always put comments of what I want them to focus on and really think about this one thing. And I only give them one thing. If you give them two things, they'll only remember one. Yeah. But I've always focused on one sort of element they need to focus on, and just get them to work around like that. So. Yeah, I don't want them to bulk unless, like I said, with the keeper, he needed to a little bit, to be to be honest. But apart from that, the outfielders didn't. Well, that's just dealing with the, with the individual needs, isn't it, within the squad? So, yeah. um, Megan, if, if we were to take you to the, the next sort of phase of this programme, like where you want to take it, where you want to develop it, maybe even if it was a point where suddenly we got a lot of funding and they were like, right, Megan, you're full-time with the team, what would you do? Like, where's the next stage of it? Have you thought about that? Um, I have briefly, 
but I kind of never want to think if we got all this, what we could do, because then it makes me go away from the stuff that we've actually, the limited stuff we've got. It's kind of a bit depressing in a sense when I, when I say that. Like, if I think about, oh, we could do floor space, we could do this, we could do that. And then I'm like, actually, that's all lovely. These, these like, metrics I can get from these are all nice, but I've already got this. Yeah. So I think if, if there was loads of funding, it would be playing around with testing for them. Um, I'd probably start with looking at abled versus non-abled within football um, and looking really at the difference between it because then you've really got a baseline. So if things are similar with a non-able body to an able body, you've got a bit more research on the able body side. But then if you haven't, then you you know then what you need to look at. Um, but the main thing, like, there's been a, there's been um, a research that's done with biomechanics. So I probably I definitely wouldn't do that because that's I think that's more Tom's side of it. Because um, I know he's been working with um, some of the power athletes um, as well. So I'd probably send that more down his line. Um, but in terms of like performance based, like certain exercises, what can we get from them, and what do we need, and the demands, then that would be grand we've only recently as well this season just got gps so we kind of understand more about the loading now um which it's kind of taken up until the world cup the world cup to really understand the the loading of it so it's taken nearly enough a whole season with really minimal games to find the actual loading um but then at the minute what we're finding is is that certain countries who are more full-time like these lads have to work hard, but the ones who are not full-time, they don't really need to work as hard, which is kind of understanding. But that really shows you the difference between all the countries that have got more funding for these lads and the ones that haven't. Um, but I take my hat off to Owen, who's, you know, made it more into um, a charity. So people donate, um, fundraise, all that kind of stuff to get the funding in, like, we wouldn't be able to get what we've got now if it hadn't been for what he's put in place. So the work he's done has been has been phenomenal because, like I said, like there wouldn't be as many staff, good staff as well. Um, and obviously we wouldn't be able to get like likes of me. I had like I had a medicine, physios, all that kind of stuff without his little bit. So it's it is what it is with him sort of thing. So it's. It's really good. It's good. It's good fun. The lads are mint as well. The lads are really fun to be around. Brilliant, Megan. It sounds like some great work there, and I, I appreciate you go, going through that and and breaking it all down as well. Because I'm sure there's a lot of the listeners that are unaware of the sort of challenges that you're facing in the role, and and it's great to hear how you're adapting to that as well. Um, I know you said about the things that you haven't got, but the things you're putting in place. It sounds like you're doing some top top work so um yeah keep up the great work with the, with the with the guys as well and obviously everything that you got going on with the girls too um we've not we've not probably gone into that as much and then maybe that'll be for a future podcast um, but i wanted to get into some of the quick fires that we always finish with so yeah. first up is who have been some of the biggest influences on your career so far um this is a bit of a tough one because i've worked with quite a lot of people in a sense, like over the good amount of years, but I think there is a, a few that's really stood out. One was probably my lecturer, the two lecturers at uni, at uni, at college. Um, one just with their support on the fact that 
sort of building my own confidence that I can do stuff even though I, I've learned to play and the fact that one of them introduced me to this whole new world that I absolutely love now um so that was a guy called Sam Bradley who's actually out in um Dubai now and um this guy called Martin Wrigley who's now retired so them two I couldn't I wouldn't have got where I am now without them two um and I'm probably gonna say um something I actually haven't actually said was when I was in uni I got the Salford role uh, mainly for word of mouth because I got to know Tony Strudwick he came into one of my um, lectures and was basically sort of gave the breakdown the brute like the good things about football but also the brutality like sort of not painting like it's this pretty picture like it does it's very political Mm. and you learn that as you go um but at the time like, I knew who he was and I was like asking him loads of questions and then he was like oh well like I was like he's like send me a CV but work on your CV and come down to United so I went down with him but at the time he was I think in the process of then going down to Wales with Ryan Giggs I think that's kind of how I fell so obviously when he left I couldn't stay there realistically um and then Salford City were then bringing out a girls team so um, Chris Casper knew Tony and Tony's like oh I know a girl who might be brilliant for this so he's then probably one that actually I'm probably going to say it influenced me in this way because he got me my step in the door my first step where I made a lot of mistakes at Salford with them girls but again you just learn like I was still at you at that point um, so I'd probably say they're like the three main ones um, and then in terms of like union stuff like um, Paul Comfort was my just um, my supervisor for both dissertations, Tom, for like all of his work that I've kind of watched and read about and have to keep reading them articles because they are hard to read at times. <laughs> He's just so clever. He's so clever. But the thing is, when you talk to him, you would never know. He's a <laughs> guy. He just talks and talks. I'm like, what is this jargon? Can we take a few steps back and elaborate a little bit? So I'd probably say like them guys are kind of like the main ones. Um, but then obviously you've got everyone like the, the clubs have worked that that sort of got me to where I am in a sense um, and allowed me to make the mistakes. I think that's the main thing within clubs. Like everything's got to be perfect all the time. And when you get to the, the bigger clubs, like you, I feel like you get more pressure where I've kind of not had that. I've kind of been able to, been allowed to make the mistakes and learn from them and just keep growing. And obviously, like I say, I'm still making them now with the amps, but you just keep learning. Yeah, definitely. I know this is the question you're looking forward to. <laughs> what is your biggest strength as a practitioner, Megan? <laughs> okay, so I'm probably going to go with, I'm really like productive in the sense that like, I go out my way to, like, for example, with the girls, I put on them extra sessions. Like, no one told me to do that. No one gave me the idea. I kind of thought, right, we need more gym sessions. How am I going to do it? And I thought, right, I'll just do it before the training session. As long as I like the coach, do that. Even on a Wednesday, I go and, like, pump the balls up. Like, I'm really, like, I can't just sit down and just watch for too long. I have to go and do something. Um, with the players, I... And this is kind of a thing I got told from the players and another member of staff was like, I'm nice, but stern. Like, I, like, I don't know if anyone can tell, I'm quite a nice person. And I will <laughs> days. But when I need to be, I can be really, really stern with them. And they kind of then need to like get on. So like in the gym, sometimes like I'm quite relaxed in the gym. But when I see them talking for too long, I'm like, right, 
get a move on. Yeah. I don't want to be here till death o'clock at night, get a move on. And they're like, oh, okay. And they just go and do it. So I think they're like my two qualities because I just think you've got to be a, a good human to build the relationships with players, especially like part-time, like you're only going to get a certain amount of time with them. So to get what you want out of them and to get onto their level and being able to have conversations where if they, especially with girls, like with the whole that time of month thing, if they're feeling it and they're feeling really fatigued and they've got heavy gym sessions, like that's their week three, for example, which is a heavy week, they then need to be able to come and tell me that. So I think my strengths are sort of productive. I've been stern, but kind, but the kind bit builds re- like reports with them. Yeah. You're really realising it. But there was a guy you had on a few, I can't remember, I think like a few months ago. And I'm really bad with names. It's the guy, it was the guy at Liverpool Women. And oh, Colin. Colin yeah, Smith. Yeah. He said, and there's one thing I took from that which was amazing, was he does the Netflix trick where you ask yeah. him what they're watching. So I did that. I literally did that that week. I watched that. And I got like players I hadn't really had much time with because they kind of stay away from me because they don't really want. <laughs> to pull them on certain stuff that's how I approached it I went what are you watching on Netflix I need a new um a new show and they're like oh and they gave me floods mm-hmm. and now I still have players coming up to me randomly going you need to watch this I'm like oh why and it just gets it just gets the conversation going where I can walk in and go hi are you all right you just it's just that communication that report so I think I'm quite good at that I think yeah no brilliant. I am I'm good at that <laughs> brilliant you know the next one as well a younger Megan what would be your like pre-Salford, pre maybe even just getting out of university? What would be your top bit of career advice for Megan back then? Mainly, I wouldn't tell her anything. Okay. And that sounds really weird, but it's if I told my younger self, I'd help my younger self out. Whereas not helping, I've you because you, if you don't have any help, you sort of be exposed to stuff and you get resilient naturally like where I was like at the minute like I'm bulletproof you could call me whatever name under the sun I have players like every now and again who on that time and they get really aggy because they're female <laughs> I take some of that brunt and it yeah. does not touch me so I think that I'm working with lads at the same point like lads are brutal like you need to thick skin to be with a bunch of lads because what comes out of their mouth not everyone would okay to hear yeah so I think nothing in that sense the one thing I'd probably say was just have confidence and get used to being get used to being comfortable with the uncomfortable that's probably the two things I'd probably say apart from that nothing else figure it out yourself I think that's really good advice. And we say about this a lot, like the, it's hard, isn't it? Because you can give advice to younger coaches, but the, when you, when I speak to more and more people, the key lessons like you've just mentioned there come from these struggles and the experiences. So in a way we want to try and give young coaches as many of these as possible. So then they, they build the experience. Yeah. I think the one thing they probably need is just the confidence. Cause obviously going into a club can be really scary when you yeah. hear your players and be able to have the confidence, even just to do a warm up with them, get them to listen when they're chatting. It's like, Oh, how do you tell them to like, so people who are quite quiet, how do you get them to stop chatting without disrupting them? But you know, you need to disrupt them to get them to do it. It's having that confidence, let them make the mistakes of everything else. It's just being able just to be that sort of, cheerleader a little bit yeah. I think that's probably what they need more than for you to sort of give them 
your wisdom. Let them make mistakes. We're like kids, aren't we? We only truly learn when we've made that mistake. It's like yeah. the analogy of touching the, the hot oven or whatever it is, isn't it? That's hot. Well, you still touch it and then you find out it's hot. <laughs> you know what? I had to say anything the other day. I was in the gym and I was teaching one of the girls how to do a push jerk. And I always say, put, like, pull your chin back because one of them did it, but she did it on the nose. And she like went full on whack on the nose. I went, you will not do that again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The ones who have hit themselves in the face, they've never done it again. I said, you yeah. need to do it once, you won't do it again. I learned that, but I thought, I'm not going to give you the full into it because you will do it. If I tell yeah. you what will come eventually, you'll be too scared to do it. So just whack yourself, you'll be all right as a physio. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, last question. What's your approach to CPD? How do you continually develop as a coach? podcasts they are my main thing I listen I like I said like reading isn't my strong suit um I read articles when I like when I see like notifications coming on like um, research gate and like I'll read them but they'll take a lot of time for me to read and sometimes I just don't have that time to read them like come more Christmas like I have a bit more time and I'll sit from a kindle and just go through a bunch of them but I don't really have the time to do that so because I'm always in my car all the time I don't like just to listen to music because you'll get bored of that music and you'll hate it. And then you'll run out of music and genres to listen to. I think I went through a phase of pop, R&B, old rap, a bit of Elton John. Like, <laughs> I went through the whole thing. A bit of um, Nickelback. Like, I went through it all. Proper <laughs> old school. <laughs> so my thing is like podcasts, obviously. Yours I found when I was in uni. Um You've got Pace Performance and, um, oh, it's got Danium in it. Oh. It's got what, sorry? That man in it, Danium. Damien. Oh, High Performance. That's it. High Performance, yeah. Yeah, I started listening to that as well. So I kind of just flick through at night and just pick a couple of ones that are new and I'm like, they're out on my street. I just listen to them. Because I feel like even the ones that you feel like are not in your industry, like, you can learn little soft skills that they use that you can, like I say, like I just learned the whole Netflix one. I don't get wrong, I could kind of, um, like, sort of, I know, what the, I know, like, kind of the feelings that were going on, like, within when you were doing the podcast. I kind of could, like, I see the similarities quite a bit, but I was, like, thinking, like, actually, how do you deal with these girls, like, me and the full time? And just that one thing change quite like I said like I ain't speaking to girls that kind of stay clear with me just by that one question so even if it's something that you don't want to listen to just listen to it because you might learn something yeah definitely no matter how big it is Megan if people want to reach out to you where would you direct them where would would it be socials like if people have got questions or anything Uh, I'd probably say Twitter is one of them which is Megan Ratcliffe without the e there's no E on the end of my name. Yeah. <laughs> Just because that's a common mistake people do. Um, 09. And then my, do you know what email is really the best thing for me? Because I kind of don't have any spam email. So if something comes through, it's kind of always important. Um, so that was MeganRatcliffe97 um, at gmail.com. So they're like the two main ones that I'd likely reply back. I'm really slow, but it's only because I'm so busy. So if I don't reply back to you straight away, I will get back to you. Like I'll just leave, like leave you unread. And then reply back. Usually on a weekend. I usually get back on a weekend. Brilliant. 
Megan, thank you for doing that. That was awesome. You covered some great stuff there and I appreciate you coming on. No, it was it was fun. It's kind of fun. It's kind of fun to talk about the stuff that I do because not many people are interested or like, like the people you're around every day, like you work with them. So you just get on with work. So you yeah. never really get time to actually reflect back on the stuff you've done or doing or want to do. Like you don't really get to say that all the time. So it's been quite nice actually. Awesome. Well, keep up the great work and good luck for the rest of the season. Yes. <laughs> Huge thank you to Megan for coming on the podcast. I really do think there was so much value in this episode. Obviously, Megan's working across two really interesting roles with the, the programme at Burnley and then obviously the programme with England Amputee. Um, and there's some real key takeaways. I think there's, there's some of the challenges that she faced don't directly relate to your role, but the way she sort of managed it and adapted the program i think that's the key lessons to take away i think this shows that and this is one of the big takeaways of the podcast is there's a lot of different opportunities out there that develop very different skill sets so we all learn the foundations and principles of sports science and snc how we apply them in settings like this is very very different so as a practitioner i actually said this to megan i think when we stopped filming was that I don't think she'll be realising the real impact that, that, that working with squads like this is having on her skill set, constantly being challenged, constantly having to adapt. And I think that's a big, big lesson for anyone to take away. Put yourself in some of these environments that you really have to challenge yourself as a coach. There's obviously the time management factor as well. Working across two roles, I'm sure a lot of people will think uh, one role's enough for me, uh, one group of players, but working across two, Obviously, your time management becomes very, very important. Um, how you spend your time, being productive with any time that you're spending doing work, I think is really key. And then this also touches quite nicely into the previous episode. Megan spoke of the use of coach's eye. Um, and that was the quote that I used for, from Matt's um, podcast last week, was provides insight that's lost to eyesight. And we really do have to focus on that as a coach, using our coaching eye and obviously data and everything that comes with that can back it up. But there are circumstances as a coach where you're not going to have so much data available, so much technology available. So we have to revert back to that coaching eye. And even if we have that available, it's still really, really important in terms of what we do. So really, really cool episode. I think this one, I could have gone on for quite a long time with Megan on this episode. So I really hope um, she'll come back on in the future as well. I hope you enjoyed it. Please give her a follow over on social media. She's on Twitter at Megan Radcliffe 09. And then she's also on Instagram, Megan.c.radcliffe. Um, and also over on LinkedIn too. Just search her name over on LinkedIn. And just finally, before I let you go, I just want to say a massive thank you again to our sponsors, Valve Performance. Go and check out their work at valveperformance.com. And also Rezzle, Rezzle doing some incredible work, working some, with some amazing athletes and teams now right across the world, across different sports. Um, I'm really proud that we've got such amazing sponsors on the podcast. And just do me a favour, please go and support them, even if it's going follow, following them, sharing their work, um, because we, they are doing some incredible stuff. So go and check them out. Rezzle.com is the website. And also if you search at Rezzle, over on social media, you'll be able to see some of the great work they're doing um, in VR and how they're applying that to performance training as well. Massive thank you to, to everybody for listening. 
and I will speak to you again next week in episode 211.